Sports broadcaster, MC speaker dedicated to women's cricket and also other women's sport, Natalie Jamanis joins us. How's it going, Natalie? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, Newcastle. <sighs> cricket. Where do we where do we start? <laughs> That's very difficult to answer. Actually. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was just having a look at IOL's cricket section now, and it's I mean, there's there's so much from Pakistan warned of expulsion for breach of COVID nineteen, CSA facing stick at wicket, Nareen taken off IPL suspected legal bowling action. Remember the days, Natalie, when twenty two people would walk on a field and play some cricket. No, I don't, I don't really remember those days. They seem like so long ago. Um, there's so much that is going on. I mean, I suppose we could always expect that there's always going to be a lot extra going on considering the worldwide situation at yes. the moment. Um, and we have to take that into account and just accept that it's now part of our lives. But, uh, yeah, it's been pretty complicated in the last few months, even though there hasn't been that much international cricket, really. <laughs> Can we... And I'm, I'm going to ask a cynical question now. Is it like cricket writers that have got nothing else to do because they're not following the game, they now are focusing on what are very important issues that have maybe not been able to be focused on because they've been so focused on the game and the cricket itself? Um, I suppose it's an interesting way to look at it. Um, obviously, we know in Cricket South Africa... Things have been boiling up for quite a long time. This is not something that's just happened in the last few months. Um, there's been issues within Cricket South Africa for quite a long time. And there's been some very unhappy people with how things have been run at the organization for a while. And even the forensic report itself that was put out earlier on this year, I think it was February or March already. So that was even before all the lockdowns that we've had. So it was something that was necessary and it was needed. And they realized that after everything that had happened towards the end of last year, when even COVID-19 was, it wasn't even something anywhere near um, anybody's perspective. So um, yes, now I suppose in a way there's an opportunity for people to put more of a spotlight on it and, and, and really get the magnifying glass out to sort of try and pick it apart as much as possible. And I think, it's probably also a combination of that and it's come to a head after a few years of problems, basically. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about Victor Mpitsang is our mm. new convener of selectors. It seems as if it's been very well received. It has been very well received. I, I, personally, I think it's an excellent appointment because he has been through all the ranks before, obviously as a player to start off with. And that's not to say you have to have been a player to be able to be in one of these positions, but it does obviously give him a little bit of a difference in edge. He knows all the players are going through. He has been a selector before. He's been part of coaching staff before. He's worked with the youngsters, which is not an easy selection committee, like, for example, the under-19s, because that's a, a team that's changing all the time. It's changing every couple of years. That's very difficult to work with because it's so hard to build a team, obviously. It's a, it's a really tough job. It's not going to be an easy job for many reasons, even if you take all the off-field stuff out of it, because he's going to be selecting for the men's national team, the women's national team. And now with a girls under-19 World Cup that is going to be happening now that ICC have approved it, there's another facet to, to bring in along with the, the men's under-19 as well. A selector is only as good as the rest of the board that can help him, right? Well, this is the thing of it is I think we need to look at um, this is not a job that can be done in isolation. It's absolutely impossible to do this in isolation. Obviously, he will be in consultation with the director of cricket in, in Graham Smith as well. 
habitat is obviously where a lot of the problems lie. Mm. And that might be a little bit of an issue with regards to just possibly moving forward. Um, I think from a point of view, of if, if we look at um, sort of underneath that with regards to where he selects from, that's another thing they need to look at because they want to make sure, obviously, that they are selecting from the biggest pool of players that they can and that's where the aspects of transformation comes in, the, the, the opportunities given to, to kids in schools and is there enough of that and all of those things come into it. So he's kind of playing quite a central role along with Graham Smith as director of cricket. It's quite, it, is, it is a massive role. It's the first time it's going to be a full appointment as well. It's a full-time position that he takes up in the beginning of November. So it, it's exciting times, but it isn't an easy job and hopefully he'll be getting the support that he needs around it. I'd- and I don't know if you know the ins and outs, but would would the selector, is it a two-way street? The selector will then go to somebody and go, guys, this pool is too small that I feel I'm selecting from. Here's some suggestions to try and make that grow. Yeah, well, I mean, he will he will play quite a big role in that because okay. his his part is obviously uh, talent identification. All of those are part of it, but then there are others that form part of talent identification around the country as well. So we're going to have they're going to have to have a collaborative effort. There's also going to have to be an effort where they look at um, teams, coaches as well, and say this is the brand of cricket we want to play. Right. So you need to work towards that, obviously. So we can't have a situation where you're selecting from a pool of players that are not necessarily fulfilling the sort of brand of cricket that you want to be playing. Basically. Okay, so he's not just going to sit there and go, well, oh, you know, this is the, these are the players I've been given, so this is why we are where we are. No, he's a, it's okay. a, that's why it's a full-time appointment now as well, which obviously makes it more involved. He's got a more time available to it as well because he will be getting a, a salary from it. So it, it makes it a more... I don't, I don't want to use the word professional because I don't want any, any sort of misconstruing that previous selectors were amateurs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it gives a more opportunity to the selector to make this a real central role in his life and obviously um, certainly uh, bring the results forward. Okay, so first job, a selector proteus side to take on the world champions. Mm, not, not an easy job. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the fact that, uh, yeah, looking well, at the, the IPL, that, it's, uh, the team's there. Well, this is this is this is the thing. Is it's great that at least they have had the opportunity to play um, at a very high level. Um, there's it's, there's no substitute for time out in the middle, and the men's team are getting that opportunity. Most of them are getting the opportunity to play at a very high level, and we've seen some fantastic performances, like from the likes of Kahiso Rabada. Fakir Dusi has been in amazing form. Quinton McCock is looking good with the bat as well. So there, there's certainly signs that things look good from that point of view. But you can't forget that the England men have played together mm. already. Mm. They have played full test series, ODIs and D20s already. So that does give them a bit of an advantage. I know the players in the IPL are going through their little bubbles, but that is that is a thing. England are used to the pressures of not being able to go home when, when they're playing and, and know what that, that bubble experience is like. That's going to be a difference. It is a difference, and I think anybody can relate to it because we've all been through lockdown five where there was a complete shutdown where you're staying in your house. The only thing you're going out for is absolute necessities. So, And, and I think anybody can relate to what that's like. Now, imagine in that situation then having to perform 
for your country. That's huge pressure. You don't have the support of your local fans at the mm. ground either because it's going to be behind closed doors. So that also can make it pretty tough too. It's not the longest tour. Um, that I think the, the England leaves mid-November um, to get to Cape Town and then the end, I think they, they, they leave South Africa around the 10th or 12th of December. So it's not a very long tour, but spending their time obviously within the, a bubble, not going anywhere. It's not easy and then having to perform at the same time. Well, I guess what's important there is uh, three T20s and three one-day internationals in, what, 11 days. That's six matches in 11 days. That adds to that pressure as well. Well, I think, that, I think now um, they've started to get used to those types of getting on to the next ones, really, because they play all these most of these players play the, the leagues around the world, the T20 leagues in particular, and they're constantly playing. They're constantly moving as well. There'll be no travel in between, so that makes it a lot easier because they're only going to be playing at Newlands in Cape Town and Boylan Park in Paul. So there's not much in terms of getting on planes and getting off planes. So that takes that, takes that fatigue out of it completely. Um, but these players are used to playing resting maybe one day, playing again, training constantly. So it is something I think that's just become part of their lives. Okay, so how can the Proteas do against England? Um, look, I think if, if, the thing of it is, and I think a lot of people have been asking this, is are they going to be able to get onto the field and put away all the off-field stuff that has been going on? And has the off-field stuff affected the players? And that's a fair enough question, and it should be asked, because we've seen statements from the players and from Saka about what is going on in South Africa. So they have to put that out of their minds. Again, they're professionals, and they're expected to do that with various things all the time. So you would hope they are able to do that. Um, I think it will depend on leadership. Um, Quinton Lecoq will have a very big role to play with regards to leadership bringing the players together um, it's it's going to be played on on pitches that I would imagine would hopefully offer a lot of runs um, at this time of year pitches obviously now have been prepared at a bit of a different time normally they would be start preparing them September October with lockdown and regulations it's sort of pushed a little bit further back so we're hoping obviously the pitches will be good I expect them to be full of runs hopefully and hopefully the weather is good for it too. Um, but it will take a collective effort from, from the South African men's team to overcome what is a very, very good England um, one-day outfit. Uh, I was just thinking, you know, there's been plenty of rain in Cape Town, so those, those pitches should be okay. Well, it, you see, it depends again. If there's too much rain, sometimes it makes it really difficult to prepare <laughs> the pitches because then they can be underprepared as well. That's very tough for, for the ground staff. Uh, it's not an easy job. It's a lot of pressure as well, and it's not a lot of time to prepare it necessarily. Um, but the fact that it's being shared between two grounds and a six games, it's not going to be overused wickets. They're not going to be right. tired, which yeah. is also good as well. Uh, then local cricket was launched as well. Are we looking forward to this? Oh, absolutely. I, I think I think um, everybody's looking forward to some real, really good competitive cricket. A lot of the pro tiers will be available at the start of the four-day competition, which is crucial for development of their, their own development, the pro tiers, but also development of other players as well. Because you want to you want to test yourself against the best in the country, and you want to push yourself against the best in the country as well. So it's great to see that the men's domestic season will be starting very soon. The women's domestic season will be starting in January too. So there's a lot. To, to look forward to in the coming months with regards to cricket on the field. Okay. Uh, the women were supposed to go to England at some point. That was cancelled. What's the women's state of the women's game in South Africa at the moment? 
Well, right now, um, obviously, as I said, the domestic season will be starting in January. We've got eight of the South African women in the WBBL in Australia. That's just about to get kick off, which is fantastic. Great opportunities. We've also got two of our players in the Ayabonga Kaka and Sine Luce going over to the Women's T20 Challenge, which is being played in the UAE or the Women's IPL, as uh, some people do call it as well. So that's a great opportunity for them too. The question is international tours and if it's going to happen I've heard murmurings of possibilities for next year. They're trying to fill up at least two tours possibly next year before the end of the summer. And then hopefully we'll have an opportunity then to tour in the winter and get some cricket in because 2022, we're building up to that again now, the 50-over World Cup, which Mm. was supposed to be held at the beginning of next year, obviously, and it's now been delayed by a year. So now it's almost like starting again and rebuilding up to that 50-over World Cup. 2022 is also a big year for the women because it's the Commonwealth Games, too, that they're going to be playing in Birmingham. And there's the South Africa are supposed to be hosting the T20 World Cup in 2022 as well. So that's a really big year for them to build up to, and they're going to want a lot of cricket in between that. And hopefully Duckworth Lewis will be on our side this time. <laughs> yeah, you always hope for that when cricket is on. Natalie Jabonis, thanks very much. Uh, from, from what you're saying, despite what's going on in the boardrooms, and that's a completely different discussion, things are looking good for the on-the-field situation in cricket. I think considering the situation that we find ourselves in with the regulations, the pandemic around the world, and, and, and what is happening, I think we've certainly take, taken a massive step forward of having an international men's tour coming out of South Africa, the opportunity for domestic to get back underway. And we hope it all goes smoothly because it's not an easy thing to do to set up the bubble. It's not an easy thing um, to make sure that everybody obviously stays safe and, and remains um, in, sort of in line with the protocols as well. It's not an easy thing, but let's hope that it all goes smoothly. All right. Uh, Natalie, just before you go, got Colin in Cape Town wants to have something to say. Colin, good, uh, good evening. Good evening. Go for it, Colin. Ask your question, please. Natalie, good evening. Hi, Colin. Um, I've been following you on the television. And what a great commentator. Thank you very much. Yeah. But uh, you've got so much disturbance with um, the people uh, in the box, three or four sometimes. Ed Rainsford, Aslam Kozer, Hussein Manak, while you are trying to commentate. I've been watching you and listening to you. And then sometimes um, you don't actually... um, They are putting questions to you while you are commentating. Why I'm asking is, Graham Smith was on, on the radio, and I said, please, Graham, if you want upcoming youngsters to learn about cricket, watching cricket on TV. Please, let the commentators know the position of the players, where they've been fielded, what the captain is doing, and what strokes batsmen play. It's all I hear, a beautiful shot, a lovely shot, a nice shot, a great shot. You don't get that in cricket. It's either a square drive, Cover drive, straight drive, hook, pull, or something like that. All right, Colin, thanks. I would love you. Um, you are my last resort. To <laughs> try you. and get our commentators to tell us what type of shot has been played, a stroke, where it's gone, if it's midfield, mid-on, mid-wicket, or where it's gone to. 
The commentators don't seem to educate our little youngsters watching cricket on the television anymore. It's just, oh, sometimes they go two minutes. The bowler is bowling to a batsman. All right, the Colin, commentator has got no chance. We, we got it. Thank you, Colin. Colin, uh, it's a good point, Natalie. It's, I, I, I don't envy a cricket commentator at all. Well, I, I mean, it's, feedback like that is always important because education, um, as a commentator, your job is certainly to educate people. There's right. no doubt about it. And you want people, you, you want to educate them to the point where they love the game as much as you do and they have as much passion for the game as, as you do. That's really one of your major roles because you want people to love the game. You want people to be invested in the game as well. So uh, as commentators, uh, it is very important to, to make sure we are educating people, teaching people about this beautiful game because it is. It's a beautiful game. And, and we're lucky that we get to work on it as well. So it is important for us to, to educate people on the, the nuances of the game, the intricacies of the game, and, and get people to love it as much as we do. Right. And, and I know, uh, when, I think last, uh, when I was listening to you, was it 20 years ago we last had a cricket match? Uh, <laughs> you, you are one of the few that makes a point of saying the score after every single ball. And I know that yeah. some people will moan about that because why are you giving us the score all the time? But I only listen to cricket for three minutes or ten minutes when I'm in the car. Yeah? And if you don't say it every two or three minutes, what's the point? One of the things my mentor hammered into me is saying the score at the beginning of an over, end of an over, middle of an over, and a score change. Quite a lot. <laughs> and and when, I, when I hear myself saying it, I, it's just this constant sort of echo of a score in my head all the time. But I know people just switch on just quickly just to just to see what is going on, and mm. then they switch off. Not everybody has the time to sit and listen all the time, and they want to know the score. They want to know a score card as well, what happened earlier on and what mm. happened through, through, through the game so that they can get a quick update, same as you would do on your phone. If you go on a live scoring, you quickly check the, the, the score and, and, and you go off it. You mm. don't sit on it all day. And what, is the, what did your mentor tell you about silence in cricket? Oh, so, silence is incredibly important, actually. The, the, the value of a pause... Um, is very underrated. Um, so, for example, if something happens and you just pause just for a second to create some kind of um, tension, yeah, you, the, the listener sort of starts to think, oh, what's going on? What's going to happen? And then you go into the action. Mm. It, it adds to the elements of um, entertainment. Natalie Jamanis, thank you very much. Just give us more pauses. <laughs> All right, <laughs> Natalie Jamanis, sports broadcaster, MC speaker, dedicated to women's cricket, also other all women's sports, uh, joining us here on Sport Tracks. Thanks very much.